You got the tall guy back. You guys remember me? <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks, Brother Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> Teamwork. Teamwork. Getting all of our ducks in a row again. All right. It is good to be with you fine people. Yeah, we have been away. Uh, family vacation time. It was great. Uh, time with my family in Idaho. We got to go kokanee fishing with my dad. Sadie caught about twice as many fish as I did. She was kind of proud of that. And uh, Haley's ballet lessons came in uh, very handy. She would just kind of dance in the boat with the net and just scoop the fish right out as we were reeling them in. So we got a little camping. Uh, it's good to have those times of refreshment. And it's also good to be back with you here. The, uh, the series that we are doing in John, I've just put that on hold a little bit longer. We're kind of building up. We're in the passion of Christ. Uh, we'll get back to that. But when you leave me away and I have time off, I uh, spend a lot of time thinking. And so certain questions come up, certain things are percolating in there. And so this is an expression of some of the things I've been chewing on with the Lord. So this is kind of adding to an earlier series, looking at what does it mean to become the Lord's church? How do we grow into the fellowship of love that the Lord calls us to be? A fellowship filled with power, filled with the Holy Spirit, humility with each other, uh, community relationships that are deep and meaningful, where it's a joy to come together and be in each other's presence, where Sunday mornings are something we actually want to be a part of because we're worshiping the Lord. And so some of the fruit that's come out of this time, uh, I'm just going to ask these questions. Now I have to own, you know, when you go on vacation, these might not be the questions that you come and think about. <laughs> I understand I'm weird in that regard, but that doesn't mean these things are not without value. So are you living the life God intended for you? This is a question to you now. Are you unlocking the mystery of who you were created to be by your God? Have you discovered your God-given purpose? What's the purpose of your life? As you understand it in the season of life you're in now. Do you live a life of power? A life that is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? What are the places where self-focus and sin still have a foothold in your life? How are you involved in and participating in the mission of God, His plan of redemption for this world? Some of you can answer these questions with a wholehearted yes, and it's either 
uh, if you say yes, I can say yes to all these things, it's either because it's really hard won and you've had to struggle a long time to get there, or possibly you're blind to the reality of your true situation and your own need. Uh, some of these things, if you're like me, some of these questions cause me to hesitate a bit. Seems to me like the church of Jesus Christ, however, we should be a community that helps one another answer these kinds of questions. Real meaning of life questions. The problem is that many of our lives are so hectic and messy and self-focused that there tends to not be a whole lot of margin left over to invest in other people. We know from our own experience and our own messiness that other people have a lot of messes too. And to invest in those messes, it takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of energy, which we feel short on both. To put it bluntly, a lot of times we don't love each other enough to help each other grow into better answers for these kinds of questions. But the thing that we need to ask then as a church, as a community of faith, is this. How do we grow our capacity to love better? How does the Eugene Church of Christ learn to love better? We do have a limited capacity, each of us individually, collectively as a church. The only one with an unlimited capacity to love everyone perfectly and simultaneously and to full depth is God Himself. And realizing that is a beginning on our journey of faith. For almost a year now, you've heard me talk about the importance of community. How we need to become more like Jesus. You've heard me talk about the importance of humility. Hopefully we're beginning to understand what humility is and what it is not. It's not the typical bad, heavy thing that we think it to be. But it's a beautiful precondition of what is necessary to truly understand and live a life of love and of power in the Holy Spirit. To be a community of love that God intends for us to be here in this place, we have to be involved in each other's lives at a deeper level than is typical of most churches even. We tend to associate with each other enough to figure out what annoys us about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Enough to figure out our opinion of, I know all the things that are wrong with the Eugene Church of Christ. Or to get to that point, well, let me tell you what's wrong with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We tend to get to that level. But sometimes we don't get very far past that. So the question is, are we doing the hard work of learning to love one another even when it's not easy? Our tendency as humans is to keep other people at arm's length. And we know we have to do this on some level because people are not safe. 
You don't have to live in this world for very long before you realize that people, they will hurt you. People, they will betray you. People, they will disappoint you. People will not treat you with the love and dignity you deserve. People do not have your best interest at heart. And it's not just each other that we keep at arm's length. We also try to distance ourselves from God. We do this because we're not entirely sure that God is safe. He may ask us for things that we really do not want to give. He may ask us to give up things that we really don't want to give up. Sometimes this is an intellectual challenge we have to face. You know, if God was really good, if He was really good, then why did so-and-so and so-and-so happen? What about such and such? And in distancing ourselves from God, when we put God at arm's length, we have anxiety, we are restless, we have no avenue to express our own hurt and brokenness and loneliness. We are double-minded, our devotion is half-hearted, and our commitment to the Lord and His church is lukewarm. A minister uh, at a church in Murfreesboro uh, used to say, show me your checkbook. Show me your checkbook. Show me your credit card statement. Show me your calendar. And it'll reveal what you truly believe. It'll show us who your true God is. We're complex beings. We can act contrary to the things that we profess. But you will never act contrary to what you truly believe in your heart of hearts. And the truth is, we human beings have been doubting the goodness of God for a very long time. From the Garden of Eden to this very moment here today. I found this verse in Exodus and it really just kind of spoke to me. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. God living in you is a very real possibility for your life. But we run from that and we hide from it. We're happy to have other people tell us things. Just speak for us. Just tell us. Because coming face to face with the true and living God, it's a terrible thing. Because you cannot come into His presence and remain unchanged. You cannot maintain the pretense of the false identity that you've built to protect yourself. God sees through all of our bluffs. He sees through all of our ego. He sees through all of our brokenness. And putting to death the false self. 
the grand illusions about ourselves that we cherish, it's never easy. It's never easy for us humans. In fact, it's so difficult usually that unless hardships and circumstances force us to relinquish our lives, to relinquish our lies that we believe about ourselves, without those hardships, we will never let go. I thought, well, what's an image that I can put to this to explain how hard that is to let let those things about ourselves that we know we should get rid of. We shouldn't have to feel this. We shouldn't be selfish. Like, What's an image to describe that? So I found my friend Bilbo Baggins to help me. The little identity that we've crafted for ourselves. The things that we project to the world. The one we like the little thumbs up and the likes and the little hearts. It's precious to us. And to learn how to let it go. That's a difficult thing. Strictly speaking, it's impossible. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ. Because putting to death your false self, it feels like relinquishing power. It feels like letting go of safety and control. Kind of like Bilbo Baggins struggled to let go of the ring of power and surrender it to the care of Gandalf. But unless we surrender ourselves fully to the hands of our God, unless we fully, and we don't get this, and we don't do it easily or right away, but to the extent we do surrender our lives into the hands of the living God, to the extent you don't do that is the extent that you're walking around in your life in a fog of lies and delusion. I know people who are completely out of touch with reality. And they cannot see the lies and the delusions that they've crafted for themselves. They can't see through that fog anymore. It's become all-consuming. When we keep people at arm's length, when we keep God at arm's length, we are largely blind to the ways that we keep our own true selves at arm's length as well. To discover your truest self, who you were created to be, it's going to involve intimacy with God, as well as learning to navigate the complexities of relationships with other children of God. That means there are people in this room that have what you need to grow better. And a relationship with God will cause you to grow. Now, we fear this for a lot of different reasons. Some of it, we doubt God's goodness and His intentions. Sometimes uh, we, don't even, we don't have a, a good vision of what, what, what is offered to us. The beauty of the life that we can live in power. Sometimes we think, you know, well, if I become too religious and I get, you know, uh, we have our, our vision of heaven is floating on around on a cloud having like thoughts and playing harps and things like that. We don't have a vision of what life and intimacy with God can be like in its truest and most intimate sense. And we think we hold ourselves precious, our desires. A lot of times in the church, we have not done a good job addressing people's desires, desires of your heart that God has put in there. 
Jesus loves to build houses with you. Jesus loves to plumb with you. Jesus loves to garden with you. Jesus loves to work math equations together with you, George. He wants to be involved in our lives in that level. And when we die, we, don't just, we aren't just absorbed into a cosmic consciousness. You'll become more alive than you are right now. And the real promise in Jesus Christ is not that you will be obliterated, but that you will become fully who you, who you were meant to become. And it's a process of joy and beauty. Well, the relationship that we have with other people is difficult for us a lot of times because it reveals things about ourselves that we really don't like. These relationships can be annoying and frustrating. We get angry. We make mistakes. We say things. We... Have any of you ever said things to another person that you really don't mean? Just kind of bubbles out of us when we're angry or frustrated or fearful. Eventually, you will be hurt by someone. Eventually, you are going to hurt someone. It is inevitable that you will sin. It is inevitable that you will be humiliated. It is inevitable that you will need to say that you are sorry to God and to other people as well. It is going to be necessary for you to ask for forgiveness. And again, this is why humility is so important to us. I know people who pray for one good humiliation every day because it exposes it exposes all of these lies that we've crafted around ourselves. Humility is important because without humility, you will never be able to admit when you're wrong. You will never be able to say, I'm sorry. Humility also allows you to say helpful things like, you know, I really don't know. And humility allows you to make mistakes and be a learner. I found this picture and I thought this was so helpful. If you want to have this, First, you have to have this. We know about what happens. Some of us have endured what happens in the lower section. And we're afraid to be like that in the church. We're afraid to ask our hard questions of God and of each other. Sometimes your preachers or your elders are afraid to say, well, I don't know. I don't... Let's figure this out together. The answer that you've been seeking about your own personal suffering. Maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed an answer to me that I'm supposed to share with you. But we're afraid to be learners. We're afraid to make mistakes. We think we have to go in and we have to use our instrument and play a concerto perfectly the first time. It doesn't happen that way. And it's a terrible burden that we carry. Humility allows you to be a beginner. No matter where you are. At the beginning of your life, maybe closer to the end of your life. Humility allows you to be a beginner and learn the lessons that you need to learn. Because we get into trouble when we pretend to know things that we really don't know. And it's not that most of us are trying to look 
self-important or be like a know-it-all. Maybe preachers sometimes. But a lot of times, we aren't asking the questions that we need to ask because we're afraid to look stupid. We're afraid to look like a dummy. We're afraid to look like we don't know. But as we grow in our capacity to love, as we grow in our ability to be a loving community, we'll realize more and more that all the answers that we need are right there in the hands of our Lord. That He wants to give to us, He wants to share with us. Knowledge of the Lord can become commonplace in this fellowship. As much as we may desire that, God wants that even more. A living, interactive relationship with God can be the air we breathe and the food that we eat on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Jeremiah 31, 34, No longer will a man teach his brother or neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. All know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That's the desire of your God. That is His desire for us as a church. The truth is, we were created to be in a living and dynamic and interactive relationship with God. And you were made to find God in the real, often mundane experiences of your day-to-day life. Knowing the Lord in intimate fellowship, constant prayer and interaction, this is a possibility for the realities of our life. That relationship, that constant stream of prayer and joy and peace, it can enter into life that's filled with dirty diapers and bills to pay and annoying co-workers and stress in your marriage and rebellious children and parents who don't get it and strange neighbors and even the strange people who you go to church with. I liked this quote, God comes to us disguised as our own life. But in order to become this kind of people of love, first of all, we have to have a clear vision of what our goals are, right? Of what's truly lasting and what's truly important. Making priorities and realigning our life to them. I say realigning because we make priorities and we make plans and then we go off kilter. We are forgetful creatures. We don't always act in line with our professed beliefs. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Rubbish is one word, it's another, dung is another. You can think of others, it's a strong image. All of those things of our credentials, 
our building our kingdom, our experiences that we cherish, all of those things. Paul says, Paul had heavy credentials. And he's like, this is just a dog pile in the front yard. This is, this is the value of that compared with this relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a possibility for each and every one of us in this room. All the things that we tend to struggle and fight for, fight with each other about, kick each other out of the way in order to get it, a name for ourselves, reputation, security, credentials, comfort, a long list of amazing experiences. It's possible through Jesus Christ that you will come to a point in your life where you look at that and you say, this is rubbish. This belongs on the dung heap in comparison to the relationship I can have with you, Lord. question we have to ask ourselves as individuals then is how much does the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ mean to you? If you've experienced the real deal, the trajectory of your life, your priorities, everything, it changes. What really matters to you, it changes. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul. For most of us, aligning our will to God's will is not a quick or easy process. But are you even trying? Have you even made that a real goal? You know, we were talking in Bible class this morning. You know, we can't be perfect. We know we can't be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. He who says he has no sin, he's a liar. John says in 1 John. But we've given up the fight too easily and too soon so many times. And what we can become in this life, here and now, we don't live up to the full glory of what is possible in each of our lives. Good news is that our Lord, is, He's more patient about this than we are. So there's some critical issues that we need to ask, I think. So I put those in a list. This is kind of the negative side of that list. And another time I might talk more about uh, the positive side, the things that we need to be embracing to become more in our capacity to love each other and love ourselves and love our Lord. Making space for love to grow. Making time and seeking simplicity. Seeking pleasure. You know, seeking pleasure is something that we stumble on a lot, especially in the church. The lengths we go to in order to obtain our own comfort and security, supposed comfort and security, apart from that which is offered to us in Jesus Christ. We are a culture in the West, most particularly the United States, who is averse. We, we run from the suggestion of suffering. We have to reconcile that with the Savior who never promises. He promises, in fact, in this world you will have trouble. We have to reconcile that with the Savior who says, take up your cross and follow me. 
I'm not meaning the cross is something, to, a nice little design, or it gives you warm fuzzies, a little piece of jewelry that you wear. I'm talking about a Roman torture device. And then shadow boxing. Struggle against the sin that's embedded in our lives. The struggle against our own dark side of things that we would rather not be there. That just seems to be following us around. Have we learned to fight against that? Have we learned to battle against the shadows in your own heart? That's our struggle against sin. And that's a whole topic all of its own. Because we don't fight effectively and we don't fight well. First of all, we don't have power because we don't admit that. We don't confess. We don't know the power of forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's a real power. And then when we do do that, it cuts the power of those things, those shadows in our lives, in half. But a lot of times we don't know how to fill our lives with the virtue and purpose that are necessary to fill in the void that that leaves. You were made for a purpose, and it is for glorifying your God and living an amazing and dynamic and interactive relationship with Him, being involved in the work of His mission. So let me say a few words about time. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It's not saying don't be making plans. It's not saying don't invest in a retirement fund or anything like that. In fact, you probably should. But have you made this relationship with God your most important thing? Have you involved Him in the plans that you have made for your life? Have you thought to involve your God at that level? Because the guarantee is not that we will be able to do this. We have this moment right now in this room. That's, that's what we have. Who's going to be here next week? Who's going to be here next year? Who's going to be here 10 years from now? As much as we hate that, that is not within our power. Make the most of every opportunity that you've been given. More that imply things about time. Be careful then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's deceitfulness. That means we embrace and do what we need to in this very moment with our relationship with the Lord. You know how someone becomes a saint? You do the next right thing. Whatever it is, in this moment, you do the right thing. And then the next right thing after that. And the next right thing after that. It's not rocket science. It was never meant to be. 
It's meant to be lived out in our real day-to-day mundane lives. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And yet we fret, we worry, we try to. You don't find time. You aren't going to just wake up tomorrow and think, oh my goodness, I have all of this unstructured free time. What will I do with this? You have to make time. You also can't save up time in the sense that our tomorrows are not guaranteed. You're only guaranteed in this present moment. Another thing about time is that you will, in fact, make time for the things that you love. We all do it. You know, the, the pace of this culture, the demands of our employers, the jobs that we do, they are all in and they're demanding more and more all the time. But you know what's true? You still find time to do the things you love. You still find a way to do it. So if you don't have time for church, if you don't have time for God, spending quiet time with God, it's because you don't love God enough. It's because you don't love His bride, the church, enough. Sunday morning worship, it really should be a priority. Not because... What I say is so fantastic or is going to be uplifting or encouraging or, or because any individual interaction is. But in this place, we share the Lord's Supper. In this place is the fellowship of the saints. In this place is worship of the true and living God. And really, church attendance is not exciting to people my generation and younger a lot of times. And so sometimes we need to attend our, our, our involvement in things as a spiritual discipline. Because what God is doing, it's bigger than this church. And what this church is doing is bigger than your individual wants and feelings. That's good for us. We hate that but it's good for us to rub up against that sometimes. And probably not everything we offer will be applicable to everyone in this room. Uh, but if you don't like the venues that this church offers, help us create new ones. Help us to do a better job with the ones that we already have. Now we get, we're starting to grow and we're starting to get big enough where no one can keep involved in each and everything that this congregation is doing. So you have to make wise choices. You have to make wise choices. But some things you need to make a priority in your life. And you are responsible to God to do that. And He will hold you accountable. Make time and simplify your life. And why do we do all of this? It's for the purpose of building and maintaining and nurturing relationships. 
relationship, primarily your relationship with God, but relationship with your relationship with God, it includes other people as well. And what makes for a good relationship with people, it also makes for a good relationship with God. This includes time for rest, me to get out fished, catching Sadie catching more kokanee than I did. Time for play, time for celebration, times of intimacy, times to work together on projects. The primary tool we are given to communicate with God is prayer. The primary way we learn about what God wants and what God likes and how God speaks is through time we spend in the Bible and in His Word. Now, He comes to us a lot of different ways, but those things are primary. And about studying the Scriptures, we need to spend less time looking at the Scriptures as a list of rules and do's and don'ts. That's in there. And that is important. But don't look at the script. And like for people who are teaching or whatnot, it's not something that we're supposed to sit here and dissect. It'd be a lot more fruitful for us a lot of times if we just take the Bible and read it like a love letter. Because that's the intent with which it's written. To tell you what love really is. To give you something true and reliable. So I found this quote really helpful. This is written by uh, Thomas Kelly. It cut it off on the slide. Uh, written by, a, he was a Quaker educator. He wrote this in 1938 about how busy and complex life is. How much more so in our modern age. Our lives in a modern city grow too complex and overcrowded. Even the necessary obligations which we feel we must meet grow overnight. And before we know it, we are bowed down with burdens, crushed under committees, strained, breathless, and hurried, panting, never-ending never program of appointments. And we are too busy to be good wives to our husbands, to be good husbands to our wives, good homemakers, good companions of our children, good friends to our friends, and no time at all to be a friend of the friendless. We Western peoples are apt to think our greatest problems are external and environmental. We are not skilled in the inner life where the real roots of our problem lie. The true explanation of the complexity of our program is an inner one, not an outer one. The outer distractions of our interests reflect an inner lack of integration of our own lives. You know why you're spazzing and scattered and just that and your anxiety and you... I'm not saying there's not stuff out there that influences. But there's work that needs to be done in here that has been neglected for far too long. Deep work of the soul. Find time. Use time wisely. Next point, seeking pleasure. The lengths we go to in order to obtain our own comfort. For as I often told you before and now say even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. 
Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. There's pleasures that we try to seek in this world apart from God, and they, they will mess you up if you try to make that your God. But true pleasure is found in the right hand of God. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is the creator of pleasure. And he intends for us to enjoy things. But when we go beyond the boundaries that he sets, and he gets to set them, we seek the pleasure apart from God as an end in its, of itself. And then it becomes disordered. Things that start off good, they end up having diminishing returns. Have you noticed this? Have you lived long enough to experience this? It means that I have to have more and more and greater and greater levels of intensity to, to receive the same kind of temporary satisfaction that I was getting. Whether it's sex or drugs or food or alcohol, and in the end, we become slaves and addicts. We don't even know how we get there. We're harming others. We're harming ourselves. You know, we look at these boundaries that God has put in place, and we do our best to understand them. We do our best to hold them in a spirit of love and grace with people. It's not because Christians hate pleasure that we seek to follow the boundaries given to us by God and by wisdom. It's because we seek greater pleasure. Greater pleasure that goes beyond the pleasures of this world. Greater pleasure that does not diminish, but only increases and always involves ever-increasing closeness and intimacy with God. Everything is in a process of decay in this world. The exception I find to that is drawing near to the Lord. Drawing near to our Savior who says, Behold, I make all things new. But we seek these pleasures. We seek, and so I went back, I found this about Bilbo Baggins again. He can help us again. This just made me laugh, so I put it in there. Denise Foreman's not here today, but it made me think of her. If you know how she is with cake, she'll be the first to admit it. Our obsession with our own pleasure is a primary cause for a lot of the hardship we face. All of the lesser loves that we cling to, all of these lesser, I mean, whether it is food, sex, all of these, this is training wheels for us. Not a substitution for the real thing. And the real thing is with God. And it gets better and better. Overwhelming pleasure is in the right hand of our Lord. And He wants to share it with us. Another problem is this aversion to suffering that we have. And this is kind of the other side of that coin. We seek pleasure. We run from suffering. 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It doesn't say, I won't let you be my disciple. It says, you cannot be my disciple. Just like I can't drive toward Florence and end up in Vida. Well, maybe if I get lost in that, I can't. So that's not an entirely happy illustration. But these are mutually exclusive things. It's not saying that we should go out and make enemies of these people that we love. It's talking about priorities. You don't seek Jesus Christ as a little add-on, a little tack-on. If you do, you will not be happy with results. You will not have the results of true discipleship because you have not become a true disciple. Paul looks at his life and he says these words in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings to become like Him in His death. We face more hardship in this life than is necessary because we try to run from and hide from suffering. We think we should be above it all. Psychologist, German psychologist Carl Jung, much unnecessary suffering comes into the world because people will not accept the legitimate suffering that comes from being human. When we can't admit our own brokenness, when we can't admit pain, when we try to just cover it up and poo-poo it, when we pretend like everything's all right with each other, we end up managing false images. And a lot of the suffering in the church is because we don't feel like we have permission or freedom to say, you know what, I'm not okay. You know what, I'm hurting. You know what, I'm grieving. Jeremiah 6, 4, 14 says, They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, this is talking about the second coming. I think it applies as well. Why people are saying peace and safety. Peace and safety, don't worry about it. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. What nice analogies Paul gives us. One of the reasons why recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery are so successful is because they not only teach you to admit your own suffering, but they teach you that you are powerless to change it yourself. You have to die to yourself, your own limited power, your own lame answers, and learn to rely on powers outside of yourself. This is a secret of real change. 
spiritual truth as well. What you need to become fully the person God intended you to be is God himself and other children of God to rub elbows with in our real day-to-day lives. One of the great beauties of authentic faith in Jesus Christ is that it is able to accept that life is tragic. It is. Life is tragic. No one gets a free pass. But in authentic faith, we also discover that in Christ, we will survive whatever we are going through. Whatever you're going through, you will survive it. And not just survive, but also grow through the hardships and the suffering that you are facing. I'm not saying that you won't die. I'm saying you will survive it in Jesus Christ. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome. I have overcome the world. And one of the amazing things about God is that he can take all of our crooked lines, all of the crooked lines of our broken lives, and he can draw straight with them. He can draw something straight. So one of the greatest things that I think we can do as a disciple of Jesus Christ in this regard is twofold. First, we have a responsibility to invite other people into the reality, the real suffering of our true lives. I'm not saying don't be responsible. I'm not saying don't find, make, be careful to find safe people to do this with. But invite people into that journey and into that pain. And the second is this. You know, one of the ways that we take up the cross and we live the life of Jesus Christ is by entering into the suffering of other people. Not to fix them. Let Him do that. Not to fix the situation or tell them what to do. Or I'm not saying you never put that in there. But just to be a loving presence and a listening ear Through one another, Christ comes to us and suffers with us. All right, finally, shadow boxing. Fighting against those those inner demons that we face. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Some of us doubt that real change is possible. We doubt it. We think it's too hard. We we make these reasons. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither will the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the greedy, we tend to miss that one, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I put that verse in there because the truth of the Bible is that real change is possible. We may think it's not possible, but real change is possible. I'm not saying there's not suffering involved in that. Our false images, our forbidden pleasures, our obsession with comfort and security, our narcissism, our need to have power, our need to control, 
these things are very difficult for us to surrender. And the fact that it happens and happens so regularly, though, it is a miracle. One that we often don't recognize, but people do change. Real change is possible in our lives. This is a bigger topic than I can address just this morning. I'm out of time. But we need to learn to better we need to learn better how to fight against those dark things in our lives. Love demands it. Love makes it possible to root out sin. Humility and community are supports for us that aid us. Letting the light shine in the darkness is some of the equipping process and discipleship that's meant to be the work of this church. So these critical issues that I bring up, oh, this is a good one too, sorry. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our, our dread than climb the cross and present of the present and let our illusions die. It's hard to let go of these false images. But the, the, the questions that we asked this morning, we need to go a little bit deeper with them. Making time and seeking simplicity. What is your next step in making time for what's really important? What are you doing to realign your priorities? Seeking pleasure. What pleasures are becoming an idol that you may need to put back into check or proper boundaries, like Bilbo and the slice of chocolate cake? <sighs> Aversion to suffering. What are you running from? What are you hiding from? Who has God put in your path that you need to become a servant to, that you need to become Jesus Christ to? There are people there, but do you, are you able to see them? And then shadow boxing. What strongholds of selfishness, sin, or pride do you need to wage war against? What defects in your character may God be inviting you to confront? This always isn't easy. But there is a God. And He is good. He is so good. And He will help you. He will help you. He will help us as a church become a community of love. He will teach us how to love better. He'll grow our capacity because there are going to be a lot of messes coming through these doors. There are already a lot of messes here already snuck in. He will help us love each other better because it's His desire and it's His longing for us. So whatever needs you have this morning to put the Lord on in baptism for the prayers of this church, for some kind of encouragement, whatever your need is, you can come forward and talk to me as we stand and